Thanks, Jason. Um, every time he calls me the good reverend, I'm looking around like, who's he talking about? <laughs> so, righteous pastor, thank you uh, for sharing that. <laughs> Jason, you said anything. I can bring anything. How about my dog? Can I bring my dog to get washed on that day? She's a peekapoo, so she's ferocious. You need to know. Um, okay, I might bring her along. Uh, again, I'm Nate. Good to be with you this morning. If you're online, thanks for joining us online. It's good to be together and, and move into this, this series, Faith Every Day. Um, I was thinking back to a time when I was uh, 13 years old, and I was uh, sitting on the floor in our basement, and my face was turning different shades of red, and I was, my eyes were locked on the floor, and in the circle around me, my older siblings were there, and there's about 10 other high school kids in the circle around me. And uh, I, I had this feeling, this sinking feeling as shame was being wrapped around me. It was a, a Wednesday night youth group gathering, and uh, they were all high schoolers. I was in seventh grade. I was there because it was in my house, and I was allowed to go because it was in my home. And so I sat with all these older students, and Doug, our youth pastor, um, was staring at me. I, I, I'm assuming he was staring at me because I was not looking in his eyes. I was embarrassed and, and looking at the floor, and I, wishing I could sink into that floor. Uh, I wanted those high schoolers to think I was cool. I wanted to uh, belong with them. And one of the ways I would approach that as a kid was I, if I could make someone laugh, then I knew I was in. If I could make them laugh, then I knew I belonged. But none of them were laughing at this moment. Doug had just uh, shared with us that he was not going to be there the next Wednesday. He was going to be out of town and that we wouldn't be meeting, that he was going to be at a funeral. And I had said with, said with all my wit and timing... Uh, who died? Your dog? That was the little words that came out of my mouth. And Doug replied, you know, you probably wouldn't make a joke like that if it was your granddad who had passed away. Yeah, that sound right there, that's, that's what was going on inside of me. <laughs> Just this sinking, oh, what am I doing? What am I saying? I was 13 and I was filled with shame. Now, Doug didn't say it angrily. He wasn't trying to put me in his, my place he said it with, with sadness. He was missing his granddad. And, and I was there, a little storm going on inside of me. And, and it was more than just feeling bad about what I said. It was more than just guilt. Guilt is when you feel bad about something you say or something you do. You feel guilty about it. You, you, you wish you didn't ha hadn't done that. Shame, shame is when you start to say, well, what is wrong with me? I, I'm a mess. I'm screwed up. Why would I say those things? I began to feel that in that moment. And I'm so thankful that God uh, has come into my life and, and turned that story around and helped me to live into a, a different reality, who, who I really am, who he created me to be, instead of this, this shadow side that we're all tempted to live into, the shadow life. You know, you know the shadow life where, where I'm in control of everything, uh, where my job is to make sure that everyone likes me, uh, where it's all about my entertainment and my pleasure, uh, the shadow life. And, and that's where shame uh, hides out in that shadow life. And God's still working on me even today. I'm not, of course, I'm not finished yet. He's still working inside of me, changing things in my heart. On Easter, we talked about the good life that we were created for by our creator, God. We talked about the good shepherd that watches over his sheep, just like the way God watches over us. And Jesus talked about that. And, and, and shame is a tool that's used by someone else in that story, someone else that's in the field. And Jesus talked about the thief that was there. And he said, the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy. There is a being that is trying to fill us with shame, a shame that kills us, that, that steals from us the life that we were created to live. Shame interferes with our ability 
to change and to grow. It breaks down my, my self-image. It, it, dis, it diminishes my self-esteem. Shame creates in me a belief that God is disappointed in me, that he's turned away from me, that he is not for me. It, it creates this, this misunderstanding about who I am. And the Bible is filled with those who are tired of living in shame. Uh, David, one of the uh, musicians in the, in the Bible, in the middle of the Bible, he writes in Psalm 25, this song. He says, Lord, I worship you. My God, I trust you. Don't let me be put to shame. Don't let my enemies win the battle over me. Those who put their hope in you, God, will never be put to shame, David says. David's singing about trusting God and putting our hope in God. And when we do that, he surrounds us and protects us from shame. David sets his identity on his relationship with his creator. And he stands against the decay that shame causes inside of us. Now, David did plenty of terrible things in his life. And he suffered under the consequences of his, his, his evil actions. But he found grace and he found a new way of life when he was honest with God. He was reminded that God doesn't put shame on us. And God might convict us. He might invite us to live in a new way. But he doesn't cover us in shame. That's not how God operates. If we go back to the very beginning of the story of the Bible, Adam and Eve, we know that the scriptures tell us that they had a perfect relationship with their creator. They walked with him and, and, and saw God. They had a perfect relationship with God. Nothing between them and their creator, not even clothing, right? They were naked and they felt no shame. And as soon as they pushed away from God, as soon as they did the one thing that he asked them not to do, that, that, that relationship was broken and shame filled them. And, and what did they do? They, they hid, right? They tried to hide from God. We continue to come back to that story because it's such a powerful illustration of the shadow life that we're sometimes, sometimes tempted to live into. And Jesus came so we could wear something else besides shame. Jesus came so we could clothe our lives with something else besides shame, that we could be forgiven and transformed, that our internal dialogue, our identity could be informed with grace and with truth. At one time, most of us have said something like, you know, I, I'm, I'm worthless. I don't, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I exist. We, we've had this internal dialogue with ourselves. And it's that very lie that's built on shame. It's that very lie that Jesus' life and death and resurrection changes for us. With his training, with his guidance, we can begin to say something else. We can start to say, you know what? I'm valuable to God. I'm known by my creator. I've pl been placed here on purpose. I'm accepted. Our faith matters to our everyday lives. Our connection to God can change how we actually live our, our Monday through th Saturday week. And during this Faith Everyday series, we're going we're gonna to hear stories from people in our congregation, our church, who are, are living out their fa faith in everyday ways. We're going to learn how God is, is inviting us to follow Jesus, that he might work in our lives and transform us. So this morning, I want to introduce you to uh, Rebecca. So Rebecca, would you come up at this time? And uh, would you welcome Rebecca as she comes up here with me? Now, Rebecca's taking the risk to come up here and uh, share some of her story, and I appreciate you doing that. I, uh, every Sunday, I feel a little bit of that risk when I get up, and I, I, I'm always surprised that God might say something through me. It's always a little scary <laughs> being in front of a, a group of people, but thanks for coming to share your story. Thanks. So, Rebecca, just start by telling us uh, a little bit about who you are. Yeah. Um, thank you for having me. I've been coming to Hillcrest for about nine months, so if I'm not a familiar face, it's not your fault. Um, I'm kind of new here. Um, I 
have two fantastic kids. I have an 11-year-old daughter named Whitney and a 13-year-old son named Wes. Um, we have two golden doodles who are really important in our lives as well. Bring um, them to the car wash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. They yeah. need it. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, um, I love cooking. I love health and nutrition. It's kind of a part of a part of big part of my life, but as far as who I am spiritually, I'm a child of God. I have gone to church since I was a little kid with my family every Sunday, and I came to know the Lord when I was in the third grade. So um, my walk of faith has has had ups and downs, and and I would say about a year ago, I was probably as far away from God as I've ever been, and um, that's what really pushed me to. Um, to start coming to Hillcrest, and I'm happy to be able to share a little bit about that today. Yeah, last Sunday we talked about those pathways, that those spiritual pathways that help us feel connected to God. And so uh, you were here last Sunday, so when you were talking about that, which one of those pathways kind of stood out to you as your natural way? Right, there were two that actually stood out. Um, my natural way would be worship. Um, music has always been a huge part of my life. Um, I've played an instrument since I was three years old of some sort, so it's it's a really natural way for me to connect with God and feel kind of safe and at home. Um, <laughs> it's good to have a safe pathway because God will often push us towards ones that aren't as comfortable for us, and right now God is really pushing um, the relational pathway into my life right now. He's, he's challenging me right now to really um, engage in relationships. Yeah. Our, our vision as a church community, we've said we want to be pursuing new life together in Jesus. So how do you see that uh, speaking to you? How do you live that out? Um, well, I think to really understand that, I have to share a little bit more about my background story. Um, like I said, when I, when I came to Hillcrest, I was probably farther than God than I ever have been. I was going through some really big changes in my life, um, really big challenges. And at the root of that big change was that I was the beginning the process of divorce. And um, lots of emotions surround that entire situation. And for me, the biggest ones were fear and brokenness and shame. I felt like a complete failure as a Christian, as a woman, as a mom. Mm. Um, and God, God has always been a part of my life, and I knew that he was really the only answer to getting me through this really challenging, hard time. And so um, he really put on my heart that I needed to start coming to church, that that was what I needed to do. And I didn't have a list of like five churches I was going to try out. I had one church that just came to my mind, and it was Hillcrest. It was here. And um, that's because of a really dear friend who's here today, Julie. Um, she and her family have come to Hillcrest forever. And um, you all just came to my heart. And when I started coming, I was terrified. I was absolutely confident that there would be a sign pointing out that I had failed, that mm. I had so much to be ashamed of, mm. that you would all look at me and just know that, that I didn't belong. Mm. Um, nobody said anything the first Sunday, so it must not have been true. So I kept coming back, and eventually I filled out a connection card, and I checked that little box that said, you know, you wanted to learn more about Hillcrest, and Nate, you reached out to me, 
And um, my every, every instinct was like, just don't respond. Um, <laughs> but I did. And I came, I met with you, and I shared my story. And instead of feeling rejected and judged, you accepted what I shared with you. And you told me you understood my pain. And you prayed with me. Um, and then you connected me with another wonderful woman in Hillcrest. Um, and that was Becky Bockelman. And she um, agreed to meet with me a stranger and listen to my story and kind of mentor me through the next couple months, few months of um, what I was going through. And she yeah. checked in with me and came to church and sat next to me so that I wasn't here by myself. Um, and she encouraged me to connect with a community Bible study, CBS. And once again, my instinct was yeah, maybe not. That sounds really scary. Um, I was pretty confident I was going to go, and there'd be a room full of Christian women that lived perfect Christian lives. Um, and they would know, once again, that I did not belong there. Um, but I went, and I connected with these women, and I shared my story with them. And instead of, you know, kicking me out, they surrounded me, physically surrounded me, laid hands on me, prayed with me. Um, and then continued to check on me every, you know, every week, checked in, some would text, some would call, invite me to coffee. Um, they, they wouldn't leave me alone, almost, <laughs> you know, in a beautiful way that God just provided this army of support through Hillcrest, through this group, through other friends and family. And so when you talk about that vision statement, the word that sticks out to me is that we're doing this together. That is, it can't be an individual journey that wherever you are, and you know, in my journey, it was, it's shame that was keeping me far from God. But if, if we lean into our relationship and the community, God will provide for us there. Yeah, yeah. So, so how do you see um, your faith affecting your life on an, an ordinary day? Like, how is God showing up these days? Right. Um, so shame is a really powerful tool the devil uses. Um, and it, it speaks lies to all of us, and I'm sure it's all different, and I'm not an expert on it. I can only share how I've experienced it, but um, you're right. It's not the same as guilt. It's not the same as low self-esteem, though they might be very closely related. And for me, the lie that shame really speak, spoke and does continue to every once in a while speak is that I'm, I'm not enough. It's not that I'm not pretty enough or smart enough or successful enough. It's that I, at my core, am not enough. And um, I know this to be untrue. Uh, growing up in the church, I, I can bring scripture to mind that says that, that God values us, that God loves us, that we're made in his image, and I know that. But when Satan is working against that truth and, and you give him, and there's space between you and God, that relationship is not close, then, then those untruths become what you believe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I began to hide what I, th I thought other people didn't want to see of me. I wasn't truly who, who I was. It was like I would put on this Rebecca suit that was mm -hmm. perfect, and everybody would see that. But then at home at night, I would, I would live in this shame and um, fear that everyone would find out. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, in the day-to-day, -day, what that looks like to, to feel God's presence is to know that he's provided me with a community of safety, to trust that he's not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of sonship by which I can call out, Abba, Father, and I can just stop where I'm at and say, Dad, help. 
Um, he's given me a place of protection, built me a fortress that I can stand on and heal in. And so um, as I build this shame resilience, um, because that's what they call it with shame, it's not that you're ever over it, it's that you build, build protections against it. Um, my protection is God, my fortress is God, my foundation is God, and the closer that I am with him, the less room for those lies, the less room for that shame and that fear, and the more room for um, victory and blessings. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, thank you for sharing your story. It's a good story, um, even in the hard parts of it. You know, God is, is writing a good story for you, and is it okay if I pray for you right now? Okay, let me do that. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Rebecca's story. We thank you for what you have brought her through and are bringing her through. We, we thank you for um, the life that you have given her in this new chapter. Uh, and we pray that you would continue to um, fill her with hope in what you are doing. We pray for her family, that you would hold them and carry them through. And, and Lord, we're thankful that you uh, are trustworthy and good, even in the midst of the hardships we face. Uh, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can you guys say thanks to Rebecca? Thank you. A few uh, weeks ago, we had a, a workshop here, a coffee talk with, with Dr. Ryan, and it was the theme was shame. And Rebecca, I know you were at that coffee talk. One of the things he said during that time was, what, what gets hurt in relationship gets healed in relationship. What gets broken because of a relationship can also be healed through a relationship. Shame, uh, one of the things that shame does is it breaks apart our connections. It breaks apart our connection with ourselves, our connection with others, and our connection with our creator, God. It, it breaks those things apart. There's a powerful story of this in the Old Testament, in the Bible. Uh, King David uh, had a lot of kids. He had a daughter named Tamar and a son named Ammon, and, and he was their dad, but they had different mothers, so they were, they were half-siblings uh, together. And Ammon began to desire Tamar. He, he wanted her in, in all the ways that you can imagine, and he decides to force her into his bed, and this is, I just want to warn you, this is a terrible story. It's a terrible thing that happens of abuse, of violence, of rape. And Tamar is, is trying to hold him off. And in 2 Samuel 13, we read this story. Ammon is grabbing at her and she says this to him. No, brother, don't force me. This should never be done in Israel. Don't do this shameful thing. I could never rid myself of shame. And, and you will be like the shameful fools in Israel. But Ammon refuses to listen, and he, he overpowers her, and he takes advantage of her. And, and then the story continues. He, he kicks her out of his house. And a few verses later, we read these words. To show how upset Tamar was, she put ashes on her head, and she tore her special robe and put her hand on her head. And then she went away crying loudly. So Tamar lived in her brother Absalom, a different brother, lived in, lived in her brother Absalom's house, and was sad and lonely. As a survivor of, of this violence, Tamar puts on shame. Did you catch the images of shame in that story? So she put ashes on her head. Uh, ashes are symbolic in the Bible of, of decay, of death. And you, you know that phrase, from dust to dust and ash to ash. It's this idea of we've come from the ground, we'll return to the ground. Ashes are a sign of death and brokenness. And she puts those on her head. She tears her robe, this special um, 
uh, wardrobe outfit that identified her as a daughter of the king, and she tears that robe. Her very identity is, is shifted and changed. Amon is the guilty one. Amon is the one who brought the violence. But Tamar is the one who puts on this shame. The robe is gone and the ashes replace it. This is, this is what shame does. It's like decay in our bones. It breaks us down from the inside out. What happened to Tamar was not her fault. There's no way she deserved this kind of life. But she suffered with it and she was filled with shame. Shame breaks our connection with ourselves. Tamar saw herself differently. Breaks our connection with others. The, the passage here says that Tamar was alone. She, she stepped away from community. Shame breaks our connection with God. She no longer felt the joy of God's presence. She felt alone and filled with shame. You, you see how shame traps us in the wrong clothing, in ashes instead of robes, in, in loneliness instead of community, in, in sadness instead of joy. There's a book called The Soul of Shame. It's written by author Dr. Uh, Kurt Thompson. And, and here's what he writes about shame. He says, we're all infected with a spiritual disease. Its name is shame. Whether you realize it or not, shame affects every aspect of our personal lives and our vocational endeavors. It seeks to destroy our identity in Christ, replacing it with a damaged version of ourselves that results in unhealed pain and brokenness. And then there's this great last sentence, but God is telling a different story for your life. God wants to help you live into a different reality. The different story begins with Jesus. This man who walked 2,000 years ago, who, whose life we celebrated a few weeks ago, his death and resurrection. We know that history's been split in two by the existence of Jesus. And when he got up to begin his public ministry, when he began to teach and move around ancient Israel, bringing the kingdom of God he started by opening up to Isaiah 61 in the Old Testament. These are the first words that Jesus said publicly in front of a group of people. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Isaiah 61. It's somewhat in the middle of your, your Bible, Old and New Testament. It's somewhat right in the middle there, Isaiah 61. You can open up a Bible app on your phone. And Isaiah here, he's writing to the people of God in Israel. And he's saying that God is going to come and, and, and bring uh, another nation to take you captive. You have walked away from God. You've denied his existence. You're pretending like it's all about you. And God's going to get your attention. He's going to send another nation to, to take you into captivity. Isaiah said this is going to happen in about 100 years. And then it happened. About 100 years later, the nation of Babylon came and took Israel into captivity. And then towards the end of his book, Isaiah begins to say, but there will come a time about 70 years after you're taken where you're going to come back home. You're going to be given freedom again. And Isaiah 61 starts to tell that story of the good news that's coming. So Isaiah 61, verse 1. Again, Jesus started these words in his ministry. Here's what Isaiah said. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the promise that you will not be in captivity forever. You will be sent back. You will be freed again. And this is the good news. The day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of the, a spirit of despair. 
They will be called mighty oaks, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God says, I want to offer you a different opportunity. I want to offer you something else. Instead of that shame in captivity, I want, you, I want to bring you good news. Instead of ashes, I want to put a crown of beauty on your head. Instead of the robes of shame, I want to replace those with a garment of praise. God says, I want to, I want to exchange with you and give you something else. Then in verse 4, it says, those who head back to the land after they've been in captivity, here's what they're going to do. They're going to rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For the people of Israel, this was symbolic for them. Now, of course, this passage was written to people thousands of years ago, to these, these people in Israel. It's written for us, but not to us. It was written to them, and for them, they saw land as a sign that, that God was with them. When they had a place to build a home and to raise family, the land was a symbol for them that God was with them and blessing them and on their side. And so that's what Isaiah writes about. That's not how we maybe see it today. We, you know, you might have a house or an apartment, but land isn't like what you're trying to claim, right? But the promises here that are written to the people are, are echoed into the New Testament for us today. When Jesus says, I've come to give you a, a good life, a full life, he says. And Paul says that, that God wants to wrap you with, with clothes of righteousness and help you to live into who you were created to be. Those are the promises that continue into our lives today. I think there's some great verbs in this passage. They will rebuild, they will renew, they will restore. All these great images of, of things coming back together again. And that's what God promises when we, when we surrender to him, when we acknowledge his existence and walk under his authority, he can begin to rebuild things in our lives that have been broken down. And then in verse 10, just skip down to verse 10. Isaiah writes, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is, this is what we're offered. Instead of shame, he says, let me give you a different kind of clothing. Let me put you in a costume that reminds you of who you are as sons and daughters of God. An outfit that clearly says that you are accepted and loved and part of something supernatural, part of something bigger than yourself. And it's exactly like the father in a story that Jesus told when he told the story of a father and a rebellious son, a son that said, dad, give me my money. And he went and he, he wasted all this money of his father's money. And he, he spent time away from his father doing whatever he wanted to do. And towards the end of this season of his life, he sat in the mud with pigs, wishing he could eat the food that they were eating. He was hungry, alone, filled with shame. And then the son said, you know what, maybe I should go back to my father and, and say, like, can I work for you at least? And, and the son returns. And we see the father sees him coming from a distance, and he runs to him. And he says, put a, put a robe on him put sandals on his feet, put a ring on his finger because my son was lost, but now he's come back. And, and notice in that story, the father doesn't first say, what, what, okay, tell me what you did. Let me, let me hear all the, the junk that you got into. I can, I can see it on you. Tell me what you've done. No, the father says, you are my son. 
and he clothes him in things that identify him as his child. No more shame, no more loneliness, no more secrets. And this is what we are invited into with our creator God, to come into a a relationship with him. Shame breaks our connection, right, with with ourselves, with others, with our God. We need to rebuild those connections. So to repair shame, we must reconnect. To repair shame, we must reconnect with, with ourselves, with others, with our God. Trusting in God, placing our hope in God, that's where it begins. So if you are carrying shame this morning, if you're wearing the ashes of shame, I want to encourage you to consider three ways to start to make those connections, to reconnect again. Three ways to replace shame with hope, uh, shame with, with connectedness. And, and these are from Dr. Ryan's coffee talk. So when we offer those again in the future, I want to encourage you to check them out because they're really good. The first thing that we need to do to reconnect is to face it. We need to face our shame. We need to look at it in the face. Shame loves to hide out. It grows in secrecy and avoidance. Adam and Eve, when they, they, they hid when they felt that shame. And, and we're tempted to do, to do the same thing because facing an emotion that is painful for us, facing an emotion that's hard for us uh, to deal with, it makes us uncomfortable, we'd just rather not do that. And so, so we, we hide it out, we bury it, we stick it to the side. So the first thing we need to do is, is face it and stop faking, but just be real about it and look it in the face. Shame hides out, so sometimes it can be difficult to see it clearly. You might even say to me, well, Nate, I... I don't think I got shame in my life. When I think about it, I'm doing okay. No, maybe it's, it's hiding out. Sometimes it looks like anger or defensiveness. Sometimes shame can look like procrastination. It can dress up like depression. It can cloak itself in this desire to prove yourself to others. All of these actions are, are trying to protect ourselves from dealing with the shame because it's not comfortable. So I want to encourage you to pick up your research notebook and go back in through your history and do some exploration. And where are the places in your life where there was shame? Where are the places in your, especially in your childhood, moments that embarrassed you, times when you felt like you weren't good enough, things that you said or did that you feel terrible about, especially things that were done to you or said to you that caused you to begin to see yourself in a different way? You have to go back and face those things. Acknowledge them, see them. And once you see them, then the next step, after you face it, you need to share it. You can't do this work alone. You need, you need others to help us along the way. Did you notice that about Rebecca's story? She said, I found others. It was scary, it was risky, but there were safe people that came and spoke words of truth and hope and grace over my life. That's what we need. We need to share it. And it, and it can be scary to do that. We don't know how a friend or a family member is going to respond when we share what, God, what, we, what we've been going through. So I just want to say it again. To repair shame, we must reconnect. We have to take the risk. We have to find some safe people and and, and share what we've been through, what we've faced, what we're feeling. And and as we do that, we begin to learn how to have compassion, how to be gentle with ourselves. As we share our experiences with others, they can help us see things that maybe we've missed. They can listen and say, no, no, that's not not true. That's not who you really are. That's not what I would think would be the result or my thought process if that happened. You know, they can help you begin to see things in new ways, we can begin to have empathy for others. Paul told the early church, he said, I want you to carry each other's burdens, is what he said. The things that weigh us down, like shame. He goes, I want you to lift those together. I want you to help each other out in that. So, so you have to share your shame with a trusted friend. And if you're having a hard time figuring out, well, who could that be? Uh, please come and talk with me. Talk with uh, other staff here at church. Talk to your small group leader 
Uh, there are safe and trusted people here at Hillcrest. I've, I've met you. I've shared my stories with some of you, and, and you've welcomed me. You've been kind to me. I, I can trust you. There, there are safe people here. And, and an even more pointed question perhaps for you this morning is, are you a safe person that someone could share their story with? Could people sit with you and in that uncomfortable moment as they're talking about what's going on in their world, can you be safe or do you just go right to fix-it mode or you go right to like, ah, don't worry about that, you know, like do you try to shuffle that away or can you sit and listen to someone, share their pain, ask questions, sit in silence with them, pray with them, be uncomfortable with them, can you be a safe person as well? So we have to face our shame, we have to share our shame and then finally we need to take it off. You take it off. This is an ongoing process like Rebecca talked about. It's, it's the exchange that Jesus offers us to, to put down our old way of life and, and put on a new way. Jesus invites us to live as his followers, which me, means believing something new, m- believing that we can be forgiven, that we can be reborn, that we have a new life, a new way of carrying ourselves through this reality. When we are honest and face our brokenness, when we share it with others, the Spirit of God helps us take off that shame and and live into a new reality. Jesus wrote seven letters in the New Testament that that we have to look at, and he he wrote them through his friend John. And and John shared them with the ancient church 2,000 years ago, and and Jesus had certain words for seven different churches. And one of those churches was in the ancient city of Laodicea that uh, was located in southwest Turkey. You can only see the ruins of it today. And Jesus wrote to that church, and here's what he said to them. He said, you say, you say, church in Laodicea, you say, I am rich. I've become wealthy and I don't need anything. But you don't realize how pitiful and miserable you've become. You are poor, blind, and naked, Jesus says. See, they were, they were hiding out. They were, they were not facing the reality of their lives. They were pretending and covering it. And Jesus just says, let's get real right now. Because you need something. So here's my advice, Jesus writes. Buy from me gold made pure by fire. Then you will become rich. Buy from me white clothes to wear. Then you'll be able to cover your shameful nakedness. And buy from me healing lotion to put on your eyes. Then you'll be able to see. Jesus says, I'm going to offer you a, a new way of life, a different way to live. He says, you need to receive it from me. He offers us, and these, again, he's using imagery here. He's using metaphor. He says, this is what I'm offering you. I'm offering you relational treasure, the gold of community, of people around you. I'm offering you a pure identity, white robes to cover that shame and to live into a new understanding of yourself. He says, I'm offering you spiritual sight that you can actually see the world with new eyes, understanding there's more than just our physical lives that we have to live into. The metaphor is that our mindset will be renewed and transformed, that we'll see clearly. No, no longer stuck in, in who we were or what we said or what we did, those things that fill us with shame, even those things that were done to us or said to us that fill us with shame. We, we no longer have to live in that reality. We can be transformed and, and, and set free and, and live into the presence and the power of God's, God's work in our world. And, and that's good news, right? That's the good news that Jesus came to share with us. These three steps are important, and and to be honest, they might require a guide for you along the way because they can be difficult to walk. And there are people who have been trained in how our interior lives are built and how they uh, operate. And so sitting with a counselor or a therapist and working through uh, facing your shame and naming your shame and and releasing your shame, you might need someone to come alongside you. I've, I've found that really helpful in my life. 
And, and Natalie is our support group coordinator here at Hillcrest, and she can help you make a connection with a, a good counselor in the, in the community here. And at the very end of this little letter to uh, Laodicea, Jesus says these words. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will eat with you and, I, and, and you will eat with me. And, and, and that, word, that idea of eating a meal with Jesus, that's connection. When Jesus talks about sitting at a table with his friends, he's talking about being connected, being in community with each other. Jesus will not force himself on you. You catch that in that story? He won't force himself. He's gonna, he'll stand at the door and knock, and he'll wait. And if you, if you will open the door to Jesus, if you will open your life to him, acknowledge that you need a new way of life and invite him to forgive you and receive that forgiveness, he, he will lead you into a new kind of connection with yourself, with others, and with him. Every day we need this connection. Every day we have an opportunity to open the door to Jesus. So let, let's do that right now. I want to invite you to pray with me. And I want to invite the worship team to come up right now. And uh, you guys know that we have prayer volunteers at the end of every service that are available to, to pray with us and encourage us in our faith. So I'm going to invite those prayer volunteers to go ahead and, and uh, stand by these stained glass windows on either side of the room. If you would, prayer volunteers, stand in those places. And while we're singing this last song, if you have a sense that God is speaking to your heart, saying something to you, and you'd like to pray with someone about that, you'd like to talk to them about following Jesus or what it means to let your shame go, just come and let us pray with you this morning. Uh, they don't have all the answers, but they can help you connect with the one who does. And so uh, let, let's pray together as we move into this time. Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word. Jesus, we thank you that you walk the earth and change the lives of those who followed you. And that we're here thousands of years later because of the transformational work you've done. There are billions of people around the globe today that, that lift up the name of Jesus. And it started with about 100 people. And it's because they saw Jesus, they saw you come back to life. A supernatural thing. It doesn't make sense to us, but it transforms our lives. And Jesus, we, we lift to you this morning our shame, the things that we are ashamed of, the things that fill us with brokenness and hurt and pain and, and darkness. And Jesus, we, we take on this exchange that you've offered, that we would lay down our old life, that we would lay down uh, all the things we think we should do, all the ways we've walked on our own, and instead acknowledge that you are our creator, God, and that we need you and that you've come to give us a new kind of life. We want that life, and we invite you to transform us right now. In Jesus' name. You know, we, we sing that word amen over and over again. Amen, uh, one way to understand amen is like, let it be. Let that be what happens. Let that be what we experience. And uh, we're singing that song, I'm thinking some of you might think, well, I don't have kids, you know? Bless my kids, you know? And you think, I don't have generations that I'm aware of coming after me yet. And, and that's what's so great about being part of a spiritual family is that we, my kids are your kids. We have each other's kids. We are family together. And, and so I just want you to take that blessing on for its fullness, what it really means. As you go this morning, I want to invite you to take those connection cards and drop them in the, the joy boxes in the back of the room. That's what I was a little weak this morning. We celebrate generosity here, so uh, I'll say joy boxes. There you go. All right, we got to celebrate that. Uh, as you go, just, just be reminded 
that, that God has removed that shame from you. He, he's dressed you in something else, something beautiful, something full of grace. So go in that uh, outfit and, and share that joy and love with those around you this week. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with God. Amen. Amen.